Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Cable Smith, welcome everybody into episode 661 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. That is the Mighty Oaks, Mexico. And we're going to have a uh, Mexico-themed show today as I just returned from an incredible desert mule deer hunt in the Sonora region of northwest Mexico. It didn't disappoint. Uh, that is for certain. And we're going to talk all about that hunt and experience and the logistics of, of hunting in Mexico on today's show. But uh, first, you know, this is the last weekend of duck season. It is, uh, man, I can't believe it's almost over. But uh, JoJo and I will be out there all weekend uh, trying to get her on as many ducks as possible as this season really has just become about the dog in our first season together. Uh, so, Hopefully this cold front push some more birds down. Uh, I know, man, it's been kind of hit or miss for me this year. Uh, probably the same for many of you. Hope, hopefully you've had a banner season. Uh, maybe some of y'all are still hunting white-tailed deer. If you're enrolled, you know, your property's enrolled in the Texas Parks and Wildlife MLD program. Uh, that's still going on as well. A lot of folks have probably switched over to predator hunting. Actually, while we were in Mexico, we took the, uh, the predator call out and called in a coyote as well. No shortage of song dogs or other predators, which we'll talk about uh, on on that ranch there in Sonora. Um, but whatever you're getting into, uh, hey, I'm I'm starting to get notifications from Texas Parks and Wildlife that sherlunkers are being caught, which means 13 plus pound largemouth bass that are in the uh, legacy class of the sherlunker program. So, and I think 
the first couple have come out of uh, OHIV. No surprise there. That lake has been on fire the last couple years, displacing Lake Fork as the uh, number one Sherwinker producing lake in the state. Um, but yeah, the big girls have on the feed sacks, that's for sure. So if largemouth bass is your thing, now is the time to get after what could be the uh, fish of a lifetime. No doubt about that. Anyway, what are we doing today? Well, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of Black Rifle Coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And my good friend Arturo Villegas, my brother from another mother, will be here for the duration of today's presentation. Arturo and I have done quite a bit of international travel and hunting together, and he was my, let's just call him my, my shepherd uh, on my recent Mexico mule deer hunt. I'll be frank, I don't think, I, well, I wouldn't have known. Like, was Me is Mexico safe? I, well, you know, what about the cartel activity? Uh, certainly going with someone who is fluent in Spanish and uh, knows the culture takes away some of those unknowns. And so Arturo, who has uh, quite a bit of experience hunting in Mexico, was my guide and liaison for the duration of the adventure. So yes, Arturo will be here. We will talk about the logistics of, of getting to Mexico, to Sonora. We'll talk about the hunt itself. Why did the mule deer in that area throw such big, heavy horned racks? Um, and, and then what about a special island just off the coast where you might find an even rarer species of mule deer to go along with a desert bighorn sheep. Uh, yeah, we will talk about Tiburon Island at the uh, bottom of the hour as well. And I believe Arturo, well, I don't believe, I know he has taken a desert bighorn ram on Tiburon Island, so he'll be speaking from a place of experience on that front. That's what's on the docket for today. I'm certainly excited because, man, this, uh, this hunt was that's one of my favorites in recent memory, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. How about, um, and I was pleasantly surprised to see when I got to Mexico that Arturo had about 10 stealth cams on the uh, 20,000 acre ranch where we were hunting. I hope that that was because of uh, this show and our relationship. Maybe just like stealth cam, but either way, we've got one to give away. This is the Reactor Wireless Cellular Camera from Stealth Cam. Uh, you can just, why don't you just email Mule Deer? That's Mule Deer to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's Stealth Cam giveaway. Coming up next, we'll head south of the border for Giant Desert Mule Deer on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. South of the border, heading down to Juarez, Mexico. Drinking margaritas and dancing with senoritas. Loving it like you'll never let it go. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Eddie Raven, I've got Mexico. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mossberg Firearms, as always. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here as we are set to head down to Mexico to chase giant desert mule deer. This segment, though, brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot Rifle Lineup. I took the 300 Win Mag down to Mexico and, uh, you know, whether you're looking to hunt dangerous game or plink prairie dogs, they've got everything from a 22250 all the way up to a 375 Ruger in the Patriot series. It's the working man's rifle, rugged, American built, and it's not going to break the bank. You can find the Patriot series at mossberg.com. Okay, well, joining us now, my good friend, my trusted partner in crime for multiple international hunting adventures. Arturo Viegas. It's great to see you, man. Thanks, Gable. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, my pleasure. So we've had some uh, pretty unforgettable adventures together over recent years. Um, we just added another one to the list, chasing giant desert mule deer in Mexico. Yes, that was a pretty cool one. Yeah, but our history of hunting together actually began on the dark continent. Uh, so what? what first sparked that uh, fire in you to, to want to go hunt Africa? Um, well, I think Africa has always been uh, on my list since I was a kid. You know, I used to read those Peterson hunting magazines and um, hunted squirrels in my backyard thinking that they were rhinos and <laughs> that I was shooting at with a BB gun. Uh, so I, I think I think ever since I was a kid, I, I've always wanted to go, not just there, but, you know, many other places that, that are still on the bucket list, but Africa. Africa was like one of those places where you got to go there first. Yeah. And you've read all the books, Capstick, and I know you're a fan of Hemingway. Yeah. Yeah. If I've read several of the books, uh, particularly like some of the Hemingway stories. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but but there are many other books uh, as well. Uh, yeah. that I, I felt like Hemingway in Mexico sleeping in a hammock. You did. <laughs> With a bottle of liquor, not yeah. arm's length well, away. I think it doesn't it doesn't uh, hurt as much when when we drink as much tequila and, and then you 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 sleep on a hammock and and it's cold outside but you, you might not be feeling it like you should the next day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what were you? What would you say were your favorite couple of hunts uh, from our time in Africa? Obviously, uh, we went. Know, I don't remember the first year we went together, but maybe it was 2018 or 2019, and then we uh, were I the 19. 19, and then we were the guinea pig group post COVID after the lockdown. <laughs> February 2021. Here we go. There was like five or six of us. And the remember the guy at the airport when we landed in Johannesburg was like, Americans, 
Come oh, have yeah. a hamburger. It, we haven't seen you in so long, you know. Well, the, the airport was empty. Uh, yeah. If you remember, I mean, we were probably one of, I don't know, 40, 50 people uh, walking around the airport. Yeah. It was just, it was completely ghost town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do remember that one guy. We stopped at a restaurant. We were trying to get something to eat. And the guy was like, oh, my God, y'all are... Yeah. Are y'all gonna start to come back, or is there more of y'all? I was like, well, shit, I don't know. We're we're the first ones to come, so yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. It was pretty cool to go go back after after COVID, especially since the animals had been rested for for over a year. They didn't get to hunt uh, their hunt. Yeah, they weren't spry. That that's <laughs> right. They weren't. Uh, for example, uh, I, you know, we talked about it while we were in Mexico that. Um, the second time, sorry, the first time that I went to Africa, I never even once saw a kudu. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some cows here and there, but never, never saw a kudu, not even a young kudu. Uh, and then the second time I went, um, they were just everywhere, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I guess, uh, I guess it did them, it did them good to to let them rest that way, and those animals got. Felt secure, I, I suppose, and, and started roaming around places where they normally wouldn't. Yeah. Well, it didn't help their pocketbooks, but that was pretty much across the globe. If you're an yeah. outfitter that relied on international hunters, you're screwed. Like you lost a season. Canadian outfitters lost two seasons because of their stupid, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you're not coming in. Yeah. Logic. Yeah. I, you know, you can thank Trudeau for that. That's um, right. Mm-hmm. But so what were your favorite couple of hunts, though? In South Africa, you know, everybody asks that question whenever they see the trophies, and 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 to me particularly, I, I think that the that the two that I enjoyed the most uh, was the, uh, part of the tiny ten, the mm-hmm. Springbok. I'm sorry, that's the uh, uh, Diker and the Steambot. Uh-huh. Um, it it I don't know what it was about them. Uh, I know they're not super impressive when you see them. Everybody that doesn't hunt that sees them in, in the office and stuff like that usually thinks like, why did you shoot a baby deer? Right. And, and you have to explain to them that, that these are not baby deer, you know, they're, they're full mature uh, animals. It has uh, two inch horns. Let me tell you, this is a mature male. And they're like, right. huh? <laughs> but, but I think, I think uh, uh, there's a little something about those tiny 10 that, that, that kind of draws my attention a lot. Um mm-hmm. A lot of the other animals kind of just feels like other animals that you that you hunt, at not not just in North America, but other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the tiny tin were pretty special because I think that that you don't find that kind of kind of stuff uh, in other in other places that you try to hunt. There are some in the Yucatan Peninsula, some small uh, deer uh, similar to that, but um, but it's a little bit different in, mm-hmm. in Africa. Well, you also shot a Cape Buffalo with, and I asked you this in Mexico because I can't remember, but I think you shot it with an open sight 416 Rigby. I wanted to, to use an iron sight. Um, when I, when I, when I did finally get to shoot a Cape Buffalo, uh, so that I could be in pretty close, uh, and personal with it. I, I, I've always wanted to shoot a Cape Buffalo. So when I did get the chance to do it, uh, I asked Carl down at the John X to let me borrow his 416 Rigby and, and, he did, and um, we went and tested it at the firing range. I think I shot maybe three or four rounds through it just to make sure I was I was on target. Um, I was on target, but Jesus, you know, <laughs> shooting that four sixteen 
it, yeah. it leaves dent in your shoulder and it changes the color of your shoulder as well. Oh, for sure. So on that hunt, I took my 375 Ruger and I, to sight that thing, dude, I shot a box of ammo in one afternoon and it was, it was like 300 grain bullets. Yeah. My shoulder was, uh, it was, it was hurting. You start to flinch. Yeah. Start to oh, yeah. Flinch. But it's like, but you got to get it done so you could, you could take it on the hunt. You know, it's just like, oh, right. every time you pull the trigger, it's like, no, not again. Yeah. 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 Take Some like of the other week. calibers, like elephant guns. Oh, I can't imagine shooting a. Uh, you could you wouldn't be. You'd be like, I'm going to shoot two shots today, and then I'll come back and try again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, some of those 500 Nitro Express or 600 yeah. Nitro Express. Yeah, I couldn't imagine shooting some of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? Let's see. What year? Actually, let's talk about your family history a little bit. Your parents immigrated to the United States, uh, they, yes. legally, and you were born in houston correct so my parents are from uh reynosa which is tamaulipas um northern state bordering uh texas uh the, the bordering city there is hidalgo and then uh the bigger city is mccallan mm -hmm. um uh, my most of my family is from that region uh parents because they were so close to the border uh they usually would would get um <clears throat> work permits and work across the border uh, on the texas side mm -hmm. and in um around the 70s my grandpa started coming to the deer park area in, in houston and uh they were building homes you know new neighborhoods and stuff like that he was carpenter at the time um so uh, around that time uh my parents uh you know, we're a little bit younger in, in their family. And uh, the older brothers of my dad started coming this way. And then eventually in the 80s, my dad uh, came this way for work uh, on a work visa. Um, then after that, he brought my mom on a work visa. And, and it took him about, uh, I want to say, 10 to 12 years to to go from, from a work visa, then to a, a resident, and then to uh, finally uh, applying and becoming U.S. citizens. Uh -huh. Um, then they stayed here. I was born in Houston and, um, every summer from the time that, uh, I was born to when I, I was about 15, I, I believe I would, uh, they would send us to Mexico, me and my brother, I have a brother and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from a family of three. So I've, I've got an older sister and then, uh, a brother that's one year older than me. Um, so me and my brother would be sent to Mexico every summer for about three, three to four months, um, back to the ranch. And, you know, that's where we learned a bunch of the stuff, um, uh, picked up, picked up a lot of stuff from, from our hunting, uh, times and, and learned a lot about, uh, our culture down there because the parents didn't want us to forget that. Yeah. So it worked out pretty good because, um, I never did forget it and I always keep going back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now you get to take your friends with you. So that's right. Yeah. You know, good for me. Good for your parents too, to make sure that, you know, you didn't, for, you know, growing up as an American, you didn't forget your Mexican heritage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you actually started hunting south of the border. I mean, I don't know how long your family's had that place in Acuna, but that's where you guys whitetail deer hunt. Correct. Yeah. We've had it for um, in, uh, over 20 years. Uh -huh. Um, uh, 
we've had that ranch and and along the way we've we've leased several other properties uh as they come um when property owners down there sometimes they they either lease it for cattle or lease it for uh for the hunting rights um but the thing is like down there in in those areas like you're not going to get ranches less I, I don't think i've ever seen a ranch for lease less than uh maybe 5000 acres mm-hmm. so always 5,000 or more, usually in the 10,000, 20,000 acre range. Uh, for example, I just got a call this morning <clears throat> um, from a guy that's telling me that, that uh, he's got a, a, I think it's a 10,000 acre uh, place that they're trying to, to lease out. Um, and he wants me to come look at it. It's a new place. It's supposed to be really good, uh, really good deer. Uh, it's about 35 minutes from the uh eagle pass bridge so okay. not, not a bad place so with with everything that's going on on the you know close to the border these days i don't know that is it safe for a gringo to rent a place there and you know do it on their own uh, or i felt safe I, because i have um i think the majority of the leased land down there are from gringos mm-hmm. uh you you have you have uh descendants of, of, of uh, Mexican heritage uh, down there, but mostly the landowners are obviously Mexican. Uh, but a lot of the lease places now are just uh, Americans. They're all American. Uh, yeah. it's, it, is, it is pretty safe. You see them traveling the roads all the time. And, and you know, uh, everybody knows that the guys, when they start coming in the, in the, in the wintertime and, and in the spring when they're setting up their feeders or, or whatnot, they know the difference between the hunters and 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 other people so they yeah. tend they tend to just leave the hunters alone really i wish the rest of society would take a page out of the cartel's playbook and just leave the hunters alone you know that's all we want really just let us do our thing practice conservation through sustainable use hunting you're welcome we fund all of those uh you know hiking trails these granola eating uh yuppies like to spend their time on we pay for it all we don't ask for anything in return just leave us alone uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into the logistics of getting to Sonora. Uh, by plane is the route I chose. And that was an eye-opening experience in and of itself as far as the sheer number of Americans that traveled to Mexico to hunt every winter. And that segment was brought to you by Numa Geared for the Outdoors. Check out the Pathfinder Pant if you haven't already. And save 20% off with my discount code LONESTAR20 when you check out at Numa outdoors.com and 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 don't forget numa offers a lifetime warranty on all their hunting apparel we'll be right back on sci's lone star outdoors show to mexican farmers in route to town i can't say let me ride on the back of a flatbed half loaded with hay Wow, we live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. I also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place, 
where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to armasite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at armorsite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at armorsite.com. Hey everybody, this is Max Stalling, and you're listening to my buddy Cable Smith on the Star Outdoor Show. I like the sound of a Mexican bass run. I like the feel that it puts in my bones. Sometimes I wonder how I ever got here. I'm just trying to get home. All right, Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for dropping by today. We're still talking, or we're really about to get into giant snoring mule deer uh, with our friend Arturo Viegas. Before we do so, though, this segment is brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. You could also use it on mule deer. Damn it, I should have taken some down to Sonora. That would have been pretty cool to see how the mule deer respond to that stuff. Um, I bet it would be like ants because that's how the whitetail treat it here in my neck of the woods. Anyway, you can find Big and J Whitetail Attractants at Walmart, to Tractor Supply, or at BigNJ.com. All right. Well, there's always next year. Uh, and with that being said, let's continue the conversation with our pal, Arturo Viegas. So, Art, logistics-wise, uh, the easiest way to get to Sonora is jumping on a plane from Phoenix to Hermosillo. Right. So the cartel activity, you're, south, you're a good ways from the border, which that's where obviously most of the cartel activity is anyway. Uh, so I didn't, you know, I felt very safe for two reasons, knowing we were bypassing all of that. And then number two, being with someone who speaks the language and knows the culture. Um, you know, I think that also, I, I really didn't ever have a second thought about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's gotten better over the years. There was, there was a time I want to say throughout the 2010 to 2013, where it would have been a little a little bad or a little nerve wracking for myself mm-hmm. uh, to be down there. Um, but, but it has gotten a lot better uh, over time. And I think it just keeps getting a little better. Uh, um, <clears throat> most of the time when there's an incident that involves a hunter and a, and a and cartel activity, it, it's, it's by chance, like either there was a gunfight going on and the guy was just, you know, at the wrong place at the right time. Yeah. Um, but I've never really seen anybody get targeted uh, yeah. from the hunting community by by uh, cartel members or any or any but bad bad 
bad juju for them because they don't want that heat you know correct yeah they just uh, it, it's 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 they're they're not going to come after us or a or a, or a hunting uh, uh group it, it's it's not worth it to them that their operations are probably worth millions of dollars and they're not going to risk it by uh, bringing in heat from from american sources to yeah. to their side to check in on their stuff so mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure if somebody messes with you they're prob they're probably going to be in trouble yeah i always wanted to take a nice mule deer um and i find a mule deer with marginal success but uh my i guess my history is i went on an outfitted hunt in hudspeth county probably 10 years ago uh didn't shoot a deer it was a pretty terrible hunt to be honest with you and then there was four of us no one shot a deer uh and then i did a uh diy i drew a rifle tag in new mexico in the carson national forest never saw a buck i saw some does you know spent a week up there and just I don't, it was they didn't have a high mule deer density and damn i couldn't find them uh then i finally got one in west texas just a small four by four and then i did take a trophy in new mexico on a muzzleloader hunt uh small i mean you would look at the rack and be like well that's not a trophy but you know you shoot it at eleven thousand feet you're packed in seven miles on your own you pack it out yourself that that's it's a trophy perfect. yeah yeah but uh but the big muy grande has always eluded me and that's why i wanted to come to sonora because like per capita i mean the, the, they have a you know a good deer population but the bucks grow these chocolate horned monster racks and i don't know it's obviously the nutrition right just i would compare it to the south texas brush country it doesn't look like this place should grow big deer you know so yeah so whitetail but typically all your your drier places that that um or more uh, desert type, uh, the 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 protein that is there, I'm sorry, the, the vegetation that is there carries a lot more protein than mm-hmm. your Gulf Coast or your Piney Woods or other or other places like that. Yeah, um, that and then you you factor in the the very mild winters that they have, um, and you know the lush summers and and springs that they have. For example, when when I left there last week, uh, as soon as I was driving out of the ranch, it, it started pouring down rain. So all that rain is going to help out. Oh yeah, uh, but uh, it, mostly the vegetation it carries a lot of a lot more protein than 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 vegetation in other uh, in other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like the South Texas brush country grows big white-tailed deer, you know, like you look at the vegetation, you're like, God, everything can poke you, scratch you, cut you. It looks pretty uninhabitable, uh, but all dense in protein, including uh, the uh, choya cactus or the a lot of people call it the jumping cactus and you're like you told me before we started hunting is like if this thing gets on you don't touch it with your hands get like a stick and you know that's right and it turns out the deer actually eat the fruit from that cactus they do they do i mean and and you know we get them on uh we see deer all the time and and we also see them on our on our cameras that we put up they're covered in choya because they've been you know uh in those choya fields Mm -hmm. eat all day and, and night so they get covered in it and then you know sometimes they get into a fight in the middle of the choya field and they are just covered in in it i just it's incredible yeah. to see that. i tried one i tried the uh, cactus wasn't I that saw, great oh yeah. you tried that and spit it right out kind of bitter and you're like hey if you swallow that it might give you the it's a <laughs> diuretic <laughs> yeah that's uh that 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 other one that's a uh, yerba flecha 
mm-hmm. which uh, Fletcher translate into um, arrow. Mm. The one that uh, that we told you, if you run by, don't touch it, because that oh, one yeah. will. That's that one, one will okay. be either. Yeah, if you touch it, it'll make you crap yourself. Uh, so these are these are desert mule deer. It's uh, you know subspecies. I I'd have to look up if it's its own species or. I think it's a like, subspecies of mule deer. You know, you got your Rocky yeah. Mountain here and then Sonoran is a different one. What mm-hmm. I think uh, West West Texas and the Panhandle has has their own variety of, of subspecies. Yeah, and just pulling it up here, there's actually like ten species, subspecies of mule deer and blacktail deer are also considered in the uh, mule deer family. So Rocky Mountain, Southern mule deer, which is like Baja, California. You've got the desert or burro, which makes sense now because the Hispanic guys, the Mexican guys were calling them burros. And they're found in the uh, northwestern New Mexico, California, and Arizona. And there's a bunch of other ones as well. Uh, but just to uh, provide a little more backstory on that. Right. Um, and you can get giant mule deer there in those places too, but just on average, and I'll put it this way, every person on my flight from Phoenix to Hermosillo was a hunter. They all right. had on some kind of hunting apparel, or you could tell from the pack, there wasn't a woman on the plane. You know, I'm not saying women don't come to Sonora to hunt deer, but there wasn't. It was just all a bunch of dudes in their 30s to 60s going hunting. So that should give you, that should just tell people, you know, like from a peace of mind standpoint, hey, everyone on my flight was going there to hunt mule deer, coos deer, or desert uh, bighorn sheep. Right. And, and Sonora is, uh, you know, I, I guess surrounding kind of the desert area, there is a bunch of agriculture. I saw like watermelons and uh, what else were they growing there? They, they, they really grow a lot. Uh, some of the main agricultures there is uh, grape, um, mm-hmm. asparagus, some of the, the fruits that like that. Uh, but they also grow a lot of uh, uh, oranges and, mm-hmm. and pond orchards. Um, there's a little bit of everything down there. Uh, the, the, once once they start to draw water and, and irrigate those fields, those fields, uh, they, they produce pretty good uh, uh, vegetables and fruits uh, for us. So... So a lot of the fruit and vegetables around Mexico comes from from those areas from around Hermosillo. Uh-huh. So logistically, I think the easiest way is to just, I mean, you have to get to Phoenix and then you fly to Hermosillo. You drove down there because you had a bunch of stuff you needed to bring back. Um, racks and yeah. obviously the, the meat, you want to bring the meat back from all the deer that were shot. Um, yeah. That was like a 19 hour haul for you. Yes, it was. And, you know, you got to factor in that time uh, change. You lose an hour when you're coming back to, to Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, so better you I, than me. Thanks right for around, driving, Art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Right around Van Horn is when where, where you, uh, I think I was driving that night and it was like 10. And then all of a sudden it turned to 11. I was like, what the hell? And I, just, yeah. I remembered, oh, it's that time change. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so camp is not like Africa. It's not like I would no. say that the the food and the pub and the you know experience in Africa, it's certainly with John X is part of the allure. This is more of a rustic hunting camp. Uh, but you sure. still have a professional chef cooking all the meals in a two bedroom house there uh, with a kitchen. And Renee was awesome. you know he he fed us so well and waited on us hand over foot. 
um the food was like you know I, I like mexican food like when i'm cooking my wild game dishes inevitably it always turns out tex-mex or mexican that's just what i like is what i know and so we're eating and, you, and you, you're like just remember it's just called food here not mexican food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah when you're in mexico it's just food it's not mexican food yeah but i was blown away uh with the quality of food and then the proximity to the ocean like one day for lunch he has this seafood feast fit for a king we've got octopus we've got ceviche we've got um what else did he have oh shrimp uh some kind of fried shrimp um he had it all in there we had uh scallops and then yeah. you know all kinds of stuff oh dude i was that was my favorite meal i love seafood and you know with the with the mexican flair to it i was just like in heaven and you so wouldn't think me- so because the com- the camp is like you said like i said it's pretty rustic but you still whip up a five-star meal over yeah. they can. Yeah. We so, don't, we don't, uh, we don't skimp out on the, on the meals. That's for sure. Yeah. And I, so I had my own room for the first two nights and then some of your, uh, some other hunters from Houston came in and the dude that joined my room was sawing logs. Like it was, uh, you know, it, it, there's, I went in there, lay down, he went to sleep before I did. And I was like, this isn't going to work. So I picked up all the bedding, went out to the porch on the hammock and that's where I spent the last uh, three nights of the trip. And I loved it, dude. I've, I've done mission trips as a younger man to Brazil on a houseboat, and you slept in a hammock for a week or two weeks or however long you stayed. Uh, so that wasn't foreign to me, and I, I actually really enjoyed just looking up at the stars. And, um, you know, it was like kind of Hemingway-esque. It was. It was. Uh, I was kind of amazed that you did that. <laughs> well, there was a, the next I'll, time you're coming through i'm gonna tell them oh he doesn't need a room just get the hammock yeah just get the hammock out it'll be fun <laughs> yep um so as far as the actual hunting style um you you do feed the ranch does feed year-round it's twenty thousand acres uh, mm-hmm. some of the other neighbors don't hunt because the, the ranch i mean we're not gonna i just told you everyone on the airplane was a hunter right so mm-hmm. the area gets hunted hard during the season uh, right. but I was talking to, um, oh gosh, who's the guy that, oh, Abe. And he was like, the, well, the kind of the way we combat the hunting pressure is we feed and the other ranches don't. And so the does aren't leaving, they're not getting hunted. And if right. you think about it, it's the middle of the run. Well, okay. If you're holding the most does, obviously you're going to have plenty of bucks and, That's right. uh, and the hunting generally takes place out of a high rack, uh, just, you know, driving the roads and glassing. It's a lot of see it see just an ear flicker or a tail move and then you know stop the rig and find out what it is you're looking at right right yeah yeah, yeah. so um we 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 do feed that uh i've been to a lot of other places that don't feed and you yeah. won't see um uh, as many does or or deer population as you kind of saw on on this particular property that we were at um a couple of weeks ago yeah. uh it, it, the the feed attracts you know not just uh, deer but it attracts everything else javelinas coyotes um, uh, mountain lions you know you name it, it everything comes to it mm-hmm. uh, we 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 like to feed uh, oranges we go to those uh, uh, orange factories where where all the produce goes to and they squeeze the juice out of the orange so then we get the 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 shell that orange shell and pulp and um, they they sell it to you by the truckload. We'll come dump a, a, a truckload of that um, uh, onto one of those feeder pens, and you know we we supplement it also with alfalfa, and um, 
Uh, you saw the water tanks. We put water tanks out for 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 the deer to have uh, a drink once they once they get some of that uh, supplement in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you feed protein. Yeah, and then we also uh, we have some protein feeders to to supplement as well uh, to keep uh, the game in there. So so you know the combination of all that uh, food and and feed and and attractants uh, really bring those animals in from a lot of areas. And as you said, usually when you when you when you're the one holding all the does, usually those bucks are going to come in from from a long ways to to get to them. Yeah, and uh, these feeders, though, I will say, you don't have to worry about hogs down there. I was kind of surprised. No, there's no hogs down there whatsoever. And so you have like just open protein feeders, which the deer can just like stand there and stick their head in it. And but also, <laughs> as I saw many pictures of this on the on your stealth cams. The coyotes just get in there and go to town on that protein. I didn't realize how much the coyotes would eat, you know, would eat that this, stuff. This has been recent. This this has just started to occur within the last, like, year and a half. Like, uh, I guess the coyotes figure out that that protein is good for them as well, and they have just gone to town on it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, you have pictures of, like, six coyotes at one protein feeder. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's getting ridiculous. And so now we're on that uh, shoot on site. You know, we always are, but you know, now we're really like, Hey, make sure we get rid of those things because they are just wrecking havoc on, on, uh, on the deer's uh, supplements. And, and I'm sure, you know, when that runs out, because uh, there's times when, when, uh, there isn't any protein in the feeders because it, it ran out and we just mm-hmm. haven't got to it maybe three week or a month period, uh, in the summertime or, or some of those months that, that, um, we can't get to it. Uh, I'm sure those, those coyotes get hungry and they start chasing those fawns around. So, Oh yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, we- um, it's funny though, because I got back to Texas I, and my wife had all my mail sitting on my desk here in the studio and Lone Star Outdoor News, the biweekly uh, newspaper, like literally one of the, I think it was on the front page. There was a, an article about coyotes now at, showing up at protein feeders and i was like oh huh, yeah we just saw that so and so in the article was like yeah this is a recent phenomenon but there it was and that was in texas you know right so, yeah they're, they're they're getting smarter they're i think they're, they're the, well they are they're the most adaptable animal in north america i mean just look at their their range they've expanded it to places they didn't exist and they ain't slowing down yeah they're they're pretty resilient animals too i mean those things can be anywhere um there was a report here in in the Houston Chronicle a couple of uh, weeks ago where a lot more coyotes are in like uh, the downtown area now. And we're like, where are they coming from? You know? Right. Yeah. They're oh. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do this. Let's just take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll actually talk about how the hunt played out. Sound good? Yeah. Perfect. And that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy and my friend Rusty Hagland over at Trigger Time Kennels in Bottom, Texas. That's where I got JoJo from that from his bloodline, uh, and he also trained her. And you know, JoJo had some big shoes to fill uh, as far as my first season without Bell. It has been a pleasure hunting with this dog. She is a machine, and she is perfectly mannered. She doesn't break. She doesn't whine. She's a little lady in the blind. Uh, if you're looking for a hunting dog, or maybe you already have one that you need trained up, I highly recommend Rusty. He is a dog whisperer through and through. Uh, you can find them, uh, Trigger Time Kennels, on Facebook and Instagram. We'll continue the search for the Mexican Louis Grande after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. 
Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off Virginia Parkway. I met up with a girl down there, but she did not speak the English. I probably could have had her too, but all I knew how to say was Una Masa Tommy Alverson, Uno Masa bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. There were definitely some cervezas killed in, uh, in Mexico on, on that deer hunt that we're talking about today. Uh, Pacifico and Tecate Light they seem to be the most predominant denominations in our camp. More of the Pacifico guy myself. Um, this segment of the show is brought to you by SCI. The big event is coming up less than a month away now, February 22nd through the 25th in Nashville. It's the annual convention. I will be there for the duration. It's not too late to buy your tickets, actually. You can buy them up to the, the, the day of the event. Uh, but special discounts now if you want to buy a pass for all four days as the global hunting community converges in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so for more info, head over to safariclub.org. Love to see you there. All right. Well, let's pick it back up as we are chasing Sonoran muleys with my friend Arturo Villegas. Thanks for sticking around through the break, man. Certainly appreciate it. Yes, sir. So like we talked about, the hunting typically takes place out of Hyrax. You do have pop-ups at most of the feeders, though. So if you want to bow hunt, which I actually did shoot a javelina with your bow uh, one night. That was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is an option as well. And, and I didn't have a buck come in, but I definitely had five mule deer does like right there in front of me, 15 yards away. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, but 
typically we're going out of the high rack and the, uh, I guess the guide or whoever's familiar with the ranch has a rope and they tie it to the driver's left arm. And whenever Correct. he sees something or somebody sees something, you just yank on that and the guy stops the vehicle. Well, <laughs> so. well there's a method to it. I don't know if you kind of uh, caught that. There's there's a little method to that rope deal. Uh-huh. So when you see something, you you tug on it. If you want him to reverse, you keep pressure on that tug as you pull back, right? Uh-huh. Until you, you want him to stop again, you release that pressure, he'll stop, mm-hmm. right? And, and then kind of like the reins on a horse, when you want them to keep going, you just kind of like flap those reins to say, Hey, keep going. Yeah. So there's yeah, well, a little I, message to it. I got to experience it firsthand because the last day I had tagged out and Angel and I, your buddy, my buddy now too, uh, we were trying to get him a buck. And so I was driving and he was hunting by himself up top. And so he would yank on that thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, I got to be the, uh, the driver, the, the receiving end of it. Yeah. But it, but it, but what it does is it prevents a lot of noise. Correct. I mean, you don't have to bang on the the roof of the high rack of the truck. You don't have to yell at the guy, you know. Um, right. So there's there's a reason for it. Um, now, we um, one other thing to mention, like you said, mountain lion. There was a mountain lion on the ranch while we were there. And yeah. do you think you got a glimpse of him? I mean, you knew it I wasn't did. a bobcat and it was a cat. And we had no, trail camera pictures of it. I got a glimpse of it. I saw it. I saw it. I just couldn't. I mean, it was just so fast. I didn't get a shot at it. Yeah, that is cool though, and um, like you said, there's a it's there's a a bunch of food options from the javelina to the deer, and just like you know, mountain lions get shot in Texas on whitetail leases because they're mm-hmm. hanging around the feeder because that's where the the, the deer are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was because I you know when we got pictures of that one mountain lion, um, he made his way through the ranch by by hitting every one of the feeders, you know, on his way in and out of the ranch. So mm-hmm. to me, he kind of knew where everything was and he was just making his rounds through his territory, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you're the one that put the trail cameras out when you got there. So yes. I guess the ranch typically doesn't use the trail cameras. Well, they don't have a laptop or anything. Uh, the Cowboys don't have a laptop or anything to, to view them unless I leave something there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, uh, Usually we, we, I left them out this time to see how far, cause I'll be back in the springtime. Um, but, but, uh, they normally don't stay out the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so we, we, we got to look at it pictures. You'd show me some, some really nice deer. Uh, what is the goal when you come to Sonora? What should your expectations be if you're going on a, you know, and these hunts are expensive, sometimes North of $10,000. What should, what's a realistic expectation for the hunter? Like if you pass that up, probably not a good, good idea. If, if you're a first timer and, um, you're hunting free range, you got to remember, you know, no matter how good the property is and how good they're feeding it, like when it's free range, there's always variables that will, you know, moon phase was one for us. So one moon, like you're right. Moon phase was one for us. Uh, they, you know, the deer were up all night. And they bed down so early in the morning that, that, you know, it's hard to find them when they're bedded. Um, I would say that if you, if you're hunting free range uh, and it's your first time, it, it's always your choice, but a buck in the one, you know, upper one seventies, mid to upper one seventies is a very good buck. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's a, if it's an older mature buck. Um, 
you know, more seasoned guys will always wait for their turn on a, on a deer that's 190 plus, you know, 200 inch mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year we do kill bucks in the 200 inch mark. I saw one on the hoof, a, a 200 yeah. inch deer for sure. Uh, no doubt about it. It was, the sun was shining on his antlers, but guess what that deer did? He didn't hang around. That's no, how he they, got to 200 inches. All right, we saw they, was the ass end running away at 300 yards. Right. They, they don't hang around. Um, so, so, you know, deer in the, in the upper one seventies is a great buck. Um, you get into the one, one eighties, you're doing very good. Uh, one nineties, even better. And then you hit that magic 200, uh, mark and you know, you're, you're doing fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and we, so I guess when I got to camp, the guys who had been there previously, their racks were still sitting there drying and there was like a 201 and a 188 sitting there. Uh-huh. Um, then one of the other guys that was in camp with us, one of the guys from Houston ended up shooting one that, I don't know, Abe said he thought it was probably a, like a 191, 192. I don't know yeah. if anyone ever scored it, but uh, it was a monster. And it was one that you had on camera. Um, yeah. And you guys. So, so that buck smarted here- that one. Yeah, it appeared on camera, I think, the, the night before. And I was like, we, we got to hunt that area because mm-hmm. he, he must, most certainly if he's around there, he's going to be there. If not, you know, um, he's going to be gone. But we did. We went back that, that afternoon um, and, and we got to see him and we took him. So it, it was in the 190s. I can tell he was in the 190s. I didn't get to uh, officially score him. Well, but- I'll tell you this. I put my hand around his bases back at camp. I could barely get my hand around him. I mean, he had so much mass. It was an no, awesome deer. Great, great buck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so we, um, we ended up hunting. So it was, uh, your, our buddy angel and you, and, uh, one of the old cowboys who has a lot of experience guiding. And we, we came across a deer that we thought was probably in the one seventies or so maybe 180s even and uh oscar's like the the cowboys like, he's telling the driver we got to go around here because he's the deer's pushing the stow this way so we'll drive around and we'll cut him off well we did that but i mean i'm thinking the whole time we're driving we're getting really far away from where that deer was yeah. and yeah. then we turn onto this road and sure enough the deer had teleported himself there and uh we're looking at him but he's kind of in the brush and he's with the doe uh and i asked Oscar, I was like, you know, we're trying to figure out, is he a shooter? You know? And I asked Oscar, you know, what did he score? And God bless him. You know, people screw up, but he thought it was the deer from the other side of that. Uh, it, it was a different so, deer. Yeah. It just so happened that that deer, what he was looking at, he was, he was looking at a four by four with brow tines, mm-hmm. um, which uh, on a ranch, you know, there's, there, there are four by four with brow tines, but you don't expect, you know, two of them to be almost identical in, in, in their shape, not in their size, yeah. um, to be in, in, in the same small area. Right. Um, so what we saw was a buck that was a four by four when we initially saw it and Oscar saw that. And we, we could tell that, that, that was, you know, 170 plus, but like you said, when we teleported to the other side, uh, a buck that was identical but you know in shape but smaller in size popped out of the brush chasing a doe and and there was an assumption automatically that that was the buck that that we were after and that was not the buck so so yeah that was a that was a a goof a goofball mistake on 
It um, happens. It happens. But yeah. um, I did ask him. I said, just score it for me, ballpark. You know, and if you miss within 10 inches or so, it's not a big deal. And and at the end of the day, I'm the one that pulls the trigger. So it, it is on the hunter. But you, you know, you pay for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. expect, you know, you have certain expectations. So we get up there and the deer wasn't, I mean, he had a beautiful rack and was, was a nice buck, but it was more like in the 135 range. And he had said 170s, you know, um, I don't speak a lot of Spanish, un poquito. Uh, you know, I knew what he said, 170s. So I was like, okay, I'll shoot it. And, and then we got up there and I, I was a little, I mean, I tried to hide my disappointment a little bit and then, right. uh, the, the the ranch made it right though they were like yeah you can just keep hunting uh it's our bad and dude i talked to a guy at the airport who had the same experience and he shot a 120 inch mule deer the guy told him you know it was kind of in the brush he could see his shoulder he's like hey it's in the 170s he shot it they didn't do anything they said that's your buck sorry about you and yeah this is not cool Holy. Yeah, that's not Horrible. cool no uh-uh, absolutely not. and these other guys i talked to man because of the full moon and maybe the fact that they don't feed the, these other ranches that, that they're hunting, some of them didn't see ma- very many deer at all. Like they go a day without even seeing a deer. Like we saw bucks literally every morning and every evening we, we saw deer. Uh, yeah. So I would, I mean, that part of the hunt was incredible. The amount of deer that we saw and because it was the rut and I guess these things in that part of the world, you know, they're running from probably, probably the month of January is like beginning to end of, of their rut would you agree with that uh yeah i i think normally is it's in january through february uh, okay what happens yeah yeah um but every time we found a doe or especially if there was more than one doe you, you knew there was a buck there just had to find him just had to get yeah. out you had to yank on the driver's arm and then you had to sit there with your binos until you could pick apart the brush to to locate the the, the buck right and right evidently 99 percent of the time there was one there mm-hmm you know, I probably saw uh, the one angel shot, you know, that was a, probably in the 180s. And then the one I saw running away was, oh, man, the biggest mule deer I've ever seen, for sure. Um, yeah. So, but. I would have got to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he'll be there next year. Uh, but anyway, so we get back on the hunt the next day. And now it's uh, Angel, myself, and uh, Jerry, who works for you. and. Uh, we see some deer in the morning, pass on a few, one gets away, and then we're just kind of, it's like 10 o'clock, and we are driving kind of, we're, we're in the Polaris Ranger now, so we're getting a little more off the beaten path, and we bust this group of deer up, and they're, they're bedded down. You know, that was another thing we need to mention is, so Sonora, because of the desert, it gets hot in the middle of the day, like into the 80s, but when you wake <laughs> up in the morning... It's cold. Like, and from sleeping outside, I could tell you it was probably in the upper thirties, you know, low forties at night. Right. Uh, and it stays that way in the morning. So you do have to layer up and then strip down, uh, towards, you know, probably nine o'clock when the sun starts to come out, you're taking layers off. Uh, but anyway, we bust these deer up and we, we end up saying, well, he's going that direction. So we make a wide loop and we actually find him again with the, uh, binos and we watch him bed down. And then it's just a matter of, you know, we, you knew when he ran away, he was a shooter, like, but had to make sure he wasn't missing any, you know, didn't, hadn't been fighting too much and broken anything off. So we're glassing him and he's bedded, um, beneath, uh, Palo Verde. Is that the name of the tree? Yeah. Palo Verde. He's bedded beneath one of those trees. And, uh, did we end up getting in with the shooting sticks to within like 60 yards? 
stalking this thing. It was, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll shoot them out of the high rack all day. That's fine. But if you have the opportunity to spot and stalk one in their bed, oh man, that's so much yeah. more of a, you makes a, a better hunt out of it. it and, it's, uh, it's pretty cool when you can do that and, and get within bow range. That's our favorite way to shoot them with a bow is to find them while they're bedded and then creep up on them and, and get a shot with, with bow, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 60, 50 yards, somewhere around there. Yeah. Well, he finally figured out that we were there and he stood up, took one step. I mean, no doubt about it. I was like, I'm shooting that deer. He dropped right there. And dude, I mean, you can watch the video. It's posted on my Instagram. I was just tickled pink. Like he had the width, he had some mass, he had the chocolate horns. I don't know. He's probably, I would guess, uh, mid one seventies, maybe even upper one seventies. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. I was super pumped about it. Um, It's got pretty shape too. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. That's why you go to Sonora, you know? Yeah. uh, Um, so I was thrilled and, uh, you know, we, we actually ate some of the, the deer that, uh, I get maybe the guys before a shot, but Renee would take the venison or the Cowboys would cut it up, but actually you would too, hang it out on basically like a clothesline, let it dry in the sun. And you can't do that stuff here though. You certainly can't do it in Houston where you live. It's way too humid in North Texas. Same thing. Like that, that desert climate allows you to just hang the meat and dry it for what are they dry for three days? Yeah, three or four days should be pretty good. And so what it it, it eventually turns into machaca, but mm-hmm. what is it? You called it something else when it's sitting there drying. Uh, carne seca. Carne seca. Okay. Yeah. But so then, uh, but, it's basically uh, it's a little drier than biltong, um, yeah. but then but then again it's cut it's cut a lot thinner than biltong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when you make it into machaca, you you have to uh, uh, kind of like uh, beat it a little bit and, and, and cut it up in, in shreds. And that's, that's what makes them a chuck. And then that goes into a dish where it's kind of like rehydrated with sauce or <laughs> yeah, so, for like breakfast tacos one morning. So they'll cut what you make a, a pico, which is a, a onions, uh, peppers and tomato. And you, you fry that up a little bit in, in some oil and then you put that machaca into it and, and stir that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, what what cut are you using for that when you're hanging that meat up? Uh, you can use any cut you want. You can use the back straps. You can use uh, the the hind quarters. But, you know, you can use whatever you want. Flank. Yeah, anything, anything yeah. that'll dry up, which everything dries up. Oh, uh, can- yeah. One other interesting thing is like you have to take the skin off the completely off of the deer's head because of i guess bringing it back across the border yes so uh not like texas where you just you know you 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 still cape it out but you don't have to take its face off you know which is much more time consuming meticulous process getting that properly done for the taxidermist taxidermists love it when we take it already like that they don't have to do work anymore yeah and they're not giving us a discount for it either. (laughs) right the same so so yeah they they kind of screw us on that but but um because of the bot flies, you can't bring uh, any of the deer uh, skulls back if if they still contain meat on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can euro uh, mount it over there, get get all the the meat off of it, and just uh, be dried white bone. It, you can bring the skull back, but if it has uh, meat on it, you can't you can't bring it. Yeah. Um, 
So, so all the deer that we do hunt down there, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to mount it as a trophy, um, you have no choice, but to, uh, cape it out yourself and make sure you take the, you know, take the face mask right off of it. So yeah. years and years of practice. You well, yes, because you've been doing that in Acuna for the same reason with your whitetail. Mm-hmm. Like That's I've only right. done that a couple times, you know, but, but for me, it's like, unless I shoot something in the back country, you know, I'm not going to need to do that at my Texas deer lease or Nebraska or wherever else. I, you know, I've, I've hunted whitetail deer, Oklahoma, not necessary. It's just a one, one little interesting thing. So I spent quite a bit of time watching you do that because I, I certainly put some holes in mine, uh, when I've, when I've attempted it, Yeah, but uh, you're an old hand at that. There is one other thing. And, uh, but I do want to take a break and I want to come back and talk about Tiburon Island. Okay, sure. Awesome. That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't seen the Big Chingon or its uh, little cousin, the Little Chingon, check it out. It's the best way to introduce your kids, or maybe your wife, into deer hunting during those cold weather months. I know whitetail season has come and gone for most of us, but it's not too late to start planning ahead. Maybe you're, uh, your kiddo's five or six, and next year you're going to take them into the field with you. Maybe they're going to shoot their first deer. There's no better way to keep them more cozy and comfortable than in the big chingone you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com coming up next we'll venture on to mexico's mystical tiburon island on sci's lone star outdoor show we took a rowboat across the rio grande captain pablo was our guy for two dollars in a weathered hand he rode us to the other side. It's time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback, and the cool thing is they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Comes another song about Mexico. Well, I just can't help myself. I lost my old lady. Got my lures, got my bobbers. Now I'm gonna go. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Uh, we're gonna wrap up the Mexico mule deer and actually we'll mix in a little desert bighorn uh, in this next segment with our pal Arturo Villegas. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. And here's the cool thing. They're giving away a $5,000 optics and gear shopping spree. What would you get? I don't know. Maybe a new pair of Razor Binos, a spotting scope, uh, maybe that Venom 5-25 to by 56 rifle scope that I rave about. Uh, all that and more. You, yeah, whatever you want. Uh, plus uh, $5 to shop at Vortex's online apparel store. So get you some new Vortex wear as well. All you have to do is swing on over to 
join.vtxnation.com. That's join.vtxnation.com. Uh, and you just sign up for their newsletter. That's it. You're automatically entered. And the deadline is uh, March 31st. So go ahead and throw your hat in the ring for an awesome Vortex prize package. Okay. Uh, well, Arturo, we put a nice little bow on on our hunt. Uh, it was everything I expected and then some. Like I walked away from that being like, man, that was one of my favorite, certainly my favorite hunt, the best mule deer hunt I've been on. Uh, but just, you know, I told you, I love the food. I love the culture. I like going to a faraway place and staying in a, you know, a camp that's a little more rustic. Hell, you slept in a wall tent. Uh, and I love it. You yeah. know, I, I feel I, more comfortable that way. I do want to talk about another place that's in close proximity to the Sonoran Desert where we were hunting. And that is Tiburon Island. And you've, you've hunted there, you've guided there. Uh, talk a little bit about the allure of that island. And, and how big is the island? Uh, 474 square miles of it. Okay. So it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's pretty big when you're on it. Uh, a lot of people, uh, when you first, when you first see it in person, um, and you're driving the road that leads up to Punta Chueca, which is, uh, where you'll cross, um, when you're coming off that road and you finally crest over and you start to see the island, it starts to dawn on you, uh, how, you know, you really didn't think it was going to be that big, but it is, it's, it's yeah. pretty, uh, and the mountains are pretty, pretty good sized mountains on them. So, um, it's always a, a, a surprise and a shock for people uh, when they actually see it in person. Mm -hmm. And so do you get there? Like, do you put the truck on a ferry or do you take a helicopter? How do you get to there, to the so, island? There's various ways. Um, we normally uh, use pangas, uh, guys that, that have those, uh, basically just fishermen boats. Uh, most of the, most of the trucks, uh, will already be on the Island, uh, when, when the hunter arrives, mm -hmm. but, uh, but the, the, you know, there's a lot of logistics involved with doing hunts on the Island because, uh, back in 1963, they made that Island into like a nature preserve. And then they gave uh, the Seri Indians uh, communal communal rights over it, which uh, basically uh, gave their tribe uh, that as part of the reservation, um, equal to like what they do in the states. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so no one lives on there. Um, there are no there's there's one building uh, that's actually a military base. Uh, there there is a couple of military guys station on that base but they don't really roam the island around um th there's a few vehicles that that the seri indians uh use on the island when they do hunt uh but if 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 uh if an outfitter goes on there they're they're more than likely going to take their own uh we like to take uh, uh polaris ranger type vehicles because you you can fit in a lot more tighter spots and if the roads are washed out you can you can do a little bit more on those than you can on a truck mm. um and they're a lot lighter to transport through uh through that channel um usually on a panga? We'll, yeah we'll tie two pangas together yeah yeah and then uh put some boards uh spanned across them and and load load the ranger um that's kind of how we get it across 
everything else is just transported in just by pangas as well you know uh, mm. ten um all your equipment everything gets transported in through pangas um we we can use a helicopter but it gets pretty pricey when when you when you use a helicopter yeah yeah well so the two main things that people hunt on the island are obviously desert bighorn sheep and then it has its own like it's a subspecies of the desert mule deer and i forget the name right. of it uh but sheldoni mule deer sheldoni sheldoni mule deer okay and they throw for whatever reason, really like non-typical racks. Correct. Yeah, their uh, their characteristics. They are a little smaller than the uh, mainland uh, mule deer, but uh, you will normally shoot a trophy that has like just uh, kickers and trash all over it. That, that's that's their characteristics on the island. It's very unique. Yeah, very unique. Uh -huh. And so, what what has your experience been like on the island? Uh, it, man, you know, it's the, the island is fantastic because, because of the fact that you, you, you have to go in there. There aren't very many roads, uh, the east side, uh, about halfway south, this, the, which is the south point of the island. And then halfway of the north part, uh, there's a road that runs north and south all through the east side. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of little roads that go in through some finger canyons and stuff like that. But, you know, the whole west side of the island, there are no roads. Uh, it's pretty cliffy if you go back there on, on boats. Um, so most of that stuff back there doesn't really get touched. Mm -hmm. And uh, that and then you factor in that the, the fact that that they're, you're, you or maybe another group of people are the only hunters on that whole entire island at, at any time. Um, it, it starts to become really cool because you got this whole place to yourself and your team. Um, and there's plenty of game in there. Uh, there's plenty of, of bighorn sheep that you're going to glass and plenty of bucks that you're going to be able to glass as well. Getting to them is the tough part, you know, because you can glass a, a good buck or a good ram and it'll be two, 3000 yards away. So mm. then you start to make a plan whether you're going to make it there or not uh, before it gets dark on you. So um, it's 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 very intense. Um, everything has to be transported in, including water. So don't expect to shower every day. Mm. Uh, uh, but you know when you talk about a real real hunt, uh, that that that's one of those. Those mm. are real real hunts so the island experience is more like a traditional back backcountry hunt it's basically what it is uh we you know we're all going to stay in tents um and depending on the hunter if if the hunter's in in good physical condition um we can make the suggestion of of you know uh, pack pack uh pack our stuff into our backpacks including a a small uh tent for for yourself and we can just keep walking we can keep yeah. walking wherever we night falls is where we're going to stay and wake up the next day and keep walking again. But, um, usually we'll do that when we're doing, when we're looking for a really big, big horn sheep, uh, mm -hmm. because the Island does produce the biggest, uh, big horn sheep. So usually, for example, on the mainland, we'll look for sheep in the 160 to 170 range. Uh, and, 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 you know, Rams in the mid one seventies would be, very exceptional and high quality rams on the mainland right but on the island 
um, we're, we're passing sheep in the 170s. You know, hmm. uh, we're looking for sheeps in a very high 170s. Uh, and, and we're really looking for sheeps in the 180s. Um, every now and then there's a ram taken that that uh, reaches that 190 mark. Yeah. And so you've personally hunted the desert uh, bighorns. You've, you've killed one there. Yes, I have. I have, uh, I have taken a bighorn sheep uh, from Tiburon myself. Uh, I've guided several uh, on Tiburon and I have taken several rams on the mainland myself as well. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Fascinating. And now have you hunted the mule deer on the island too? I I have not uh, personally taken one, but I've uh, guided hunters that have taken some very nice uh, mule deer on on that island. And so compared to mainland hunting, what is the price hike to have the, uh, if you want to go to Tiburon Island and hunt? So because of the logistics involved, uh, getting all, you know, equipment, food, um, you also have to hire, uh, a group of Sari Indians, which is part of the agreement when they sell you the tags, mm-hmm. uh, you got to produce some work for them so that they can have, you know, some kind of a revenue for their, for their community. Um, you got to factor all that stuff in, uh, usually a hunt for, um, let's just say a hunt on the mainland will be about, uh, just for a number's sake, say around uh, ten thousand. Then a hunt on the on the island for Sheldoni will be closer to to twenty. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes if, sense logistically. If, 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 I had a guy tell me one time, getting a bell pepper into the Yukon, like for a guided moose or or brown bear hunt, uh, it made a bell pepper turned it into like a six dollar bell pepper just from the logistics of getting it in there, you know, like yeah, getting, getting stuff in and out, uh, you know, it, um, it's a lot of work. It, it really is. Um, you know, the, the, if you're going to buy food, um, uh, or supplies, it's going to come from Hermosillo, which Hermosillo is, is about a hour and a half to two hour drive, um, mm. to, um, and then you gotta, you know, put it in, in, in boxes, secure it, uh, pay the guys that are, you know, transporting in the pangas, uh, get it off, get it to camp, offload. Like it, it just, it's a, it's, it's quite a bit of work. Well, one thing I've realized though is, you know, people, and not so much on Tiburon Island, but hunting mule deer on the mainland is, and I'll say there were a lot more 60 year old guys on that flight than what I would have imagined. And the reason why is because those guys can't hack it in the mountains anymore. Most of them, you know? So if you really want a nice shot at a trophy and the seasons of DIY backcountry hunting is come and gone for you. Well, okay. Here's a great option where you can, yeah, you're going to have to hunt hard. You're going to have to put in time behind the glass, but you're not going to have to do a lot of walking in Sonora, you know? That was one yeah. thing that stood out. So don't, you know, don't get discouraged if you're not in the best physical shape and you still, and I think that's why, you know, so many Americans go down there, right? Um, Correct. Because there, because there's so many big deer and you, you can make the hunt. You could make it hard if you wanted to, but physically it's not a hard yeah. hunt. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, you know, the hardest um, part is trying to keep your balance, not falling out of the high rack. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. 
No, but um, you know, we've had uh, hunters that bring uh, kids and 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 very older gentlemen, you know, in their eighties, and and um, we always find a way to make sure we accommodate it in a way where where they won't won't struggle as as much if it's not needed. Yeah. Um, but then you know there there are some guys that are in good shape um, when we'll go to the mountains and some of the areas around the coast, even on the mainland. Um, we might be driving a, a high rack, but we're, you know, we're still glassing some of these mountains. And if we see a buck that's up there, we're definitely going to go for it. Mm-hmm. So we'll be some climbing involved in some of those hunts. And, um, it, it all depends on your physical condition. We did a little bit of climbing the last day of our hunt. Uh, there was a couple, they weren't really mountains, but big hills and, uh, Angel and I hiked up to the top of those with our spotting scopes and, just to see what we could see it picked out some deer um i think you went back up there and actually saw i went i went back up there the day um the very next day after y'all left and Uh and um i picked out three three good bucks that i can see from up there Mm -hmm. uh it it just so happened that they were all at a distance of about 1800 yards um in in different directions um we tried to uh, uh put a stock on one of those uh, but they, the, the herd kind of moved a little bit on us. And, and by the time I got to the spot where, where they were, uh, they passed behind me like 80 yards, but I couldn't see them. The brush was a little thick, mm. uh, but then those guys went back the following day to that same area and they found that buck we had stocked, uh, and, and they ended up, uh, getting a shot at it from, from, from the other hill actually. Right. So it worked for them. Right on. Well, man, uh, we're going to put a trip together for next year and we're going to do like a Lone Star Door Show trip with you. So I don't know how many guys we can take, what, four or five? Yeah, we can, we can take probably, uh, if we split between two camps, we can probably do up to six. Okay. So yeah, y'all shoot me an email if, if this is something that is appealing to you. And, um, you know, obviously it isn't, you know, hunting internationally isn't a cheap undertaking, uh, but yeah. If you do want a trophy mule deer and have just a great hunting experience with the culture being a big part of that, I uh, highly recommend the uh, Sonoran mule deer hunt. So shoot me an email if you are interested. It'll probably be mid-January of next year. Uh, we'll go during the rut, but we'll finalize those dates and, and uh, get back to you on that. But what uh, as we wrap things up here, Art, what is the next thing on your bucket list as far as international hunting goes um i i think uh i love i love the sheep stuff mm-hmm. uh, but uh something like a a ibex or something like that is has always been on my list so, uh, so i think i think an ibex i don't know where but i would love to have one so like you want to go to the middle east or spain uh, I think some of the ones in the Middle East or Mongolia are, are a little bigger yeah. uh, than the Spanish ones. Uh, I wouldn't mind going to Spain. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get along fine over there. They speak Spanish. <laughs> uh, but but uh, I think some of the other uh, places in, in Asia and stuff like that carry some pretty good uh, animals as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. You, know, well, we you also can need- sell some of your kids and go hunt uh, Marco Polo. Yeah. 
sheep. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, no, but uh, we need to go on that one, uh, uh, those mountain audat sheep uh, down in Mexico as well. Uh, some of those are. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did mention that. So then the price tag for those is less than what you would even pay in Texas, where I think probably a trophy free range audat hunt now is probably five grand here. They're actually around like uh, closer to six grand now in Texas. Damn it. Biden's inflation is now affecting all dad hunting. That's right. Oh, uh, so, uh, yeah, Mexico, uh, you can probably get them for about, uh, I think, no more than 3,500. Mm-hmm. I have a crack at a 30 plus inch. Yeah, 30 plus, 30 plus. Yeah. Well, where would you fly into for that? Um, so, uh, you just I, got access to this property. You had to go check it out and make sure that the, the quality of Rams was good. I sent, uh, I sent one of my guys down there to check it out. And he said, everything seems to be checking out that they, there was a, a couple of guys there, uh, at that property and they had two mule deer in the freezer. I mean, sorry, uh, two, uh, all that sheep in the freezer and, and they were 30 plus Rams. So, mm-hmm. um, I just got to go over there myself, make sure everything's uh, good and know, know where we're going to set up our camp and all that, and then hit those mountains up, man. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of all that sheep that they get looked uh, looked over because a lot of people just kind of just stay in Texas and, and hunt them here. But there's, there's, I, I'm starting to feel like there's a lot uh, more chances out there just because in Mexico, uh, it's not like the States where everybody can own a rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to belong to a, a hunting club or, or, or an association to, to own one. Um, or you have to be a landowner. And for the most part, uh, hunting is, is expensive and a lot of people can't afford it down there. So, you know, you just, the, the working man down there doesn't normally get to hunt. Yeah. Um, which provides a lot of opportunities for, for Americans. Um, so I think, uh, I think all that sheep hunting in Mexico is getting looked over. Um, and, and I feel like, uh, once it gets found, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna blow up, uh, pretty big too. And so where would you fly into for that? Um, I think the nearest, uh, big airport would be Monterey. It's probably, uh, two and a half to three hour drive to that place. Uh, if you fly into Monterey. Okay. Um, but I, I, I normally drive across because the ranches are, are in Acuna and it's, it's about a three and a half to four hour drive from Acuna to that place. Right on. Right on. And just one other thing. Um, what about taking a rifle into Mexico? Uh, so taking a rifle into Mexico is just like any other country. You get your permit for whatever state you're going to be in. Um, and then you fly into that, make sure you don't uh, have any uh, flights that are going to uh, lay over in any other state. Because if your entry point, for example, uh, we always tell everybody coming to Sonora, there are flights that uh, go from DFW or Houston or where, wherever, and they might lay over in Mexico City before going to Hermosillo. And that's a big no-no if you're carrying a, a rifle because Mexico City is a different state. And you do not have a permit to be in that state with uh, your firearm. So um, you have to fly directly to the place where you have your permit. And getting a permit is not, it's not difficult. You just say, send in your information, your, your passport information and, and your rifle information along with the scope uh, serial number and, and that. Um, 
and they'll normally get you a permit pretty quick. Um, yeah. Just, just, uh, just turning it in. But, but like I said, you just can't be in the wrong state with the wrong permit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's not yeah. a big deal. Well, good stuff, my friend. I think that's uh, everything I wanted to get into. Like I said, highly recommend it. Y'all shoot me an email if you want to uh, to join me in Sonora uh, for the Mule Deer Rut next January. Art, thanks so much, man. I look forward to our next adventure, wherever that might be. But I uh, always love being in camp with you and uh, the good times and tequila. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah, uh, they- Mexicans no don't shortage. take tequila shots. They sip tequila. So that's right. Maestro Dobel was the uh, preferred poison in camp this past time. Yeah, there was no shortage of it either. No, there was some bottles killed for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks, Art. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Cable. So there he goes. My international hunting buddy, Arturo Viegas, and certainly one of the nicest guys that she'll meet. You know, you, you spend the better part of a month traveling and hunting with someone over the years, and you get to know them pretty well. And Art is certainly a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, so uh, always a pleasure to be in camp with him and hope you guys enjoyed the uh, Sonoran experience today. That segment of the show brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company, America's coffee company, veteran-owned and operated. You can check out all of their roasts and unapologetic patriotic swag at blackriflecoffee.com. Unfortunately, we've got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Art. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Carlos Saragossa left his home in Casas Grandes when the moon was full. He had no money in his pocket. Just a locket of his sister framed in gold He headed for El Suaco And stole a rooster named Gallo del Cielo And then he crossed the Rio Grande With a rooster nestled deep beneath his arms